Let's talk about Sora, OpenAI's new video generation model. Along with plenty of AI news this week, including the stagnation of ChatGPT, Meta's new AI model, and Gemini 1.5. And Edis, if that is not enough, we'll also break down Mark Zuckerberg's Vision Pro response and the wisdom of putting $50,000 in a shoebox. All that and more coming up right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. Wow, wow, wow. Massive week of AI news and plenty of other good topics to talk about. We're joined as always by Ranjan Roy of Margins. Ranjan, welcome. I, I try to underplay big news weeks in AI, but I think this actually is probably the biggest week, at least this year, but in a long time in AI news. Absolutely. So let's start with Sora, which is OpenAI's model that instantly generates eye-popping video. It's a video generation model. And this is what uh, the New York Times says. OpenAI has unveiled a system that creates videos that look as if they were lifted from a Hollywood movie. A demonstration included short videos created in minutes of woolly mammoths trotting through a snowy, snowy meadow, a monster gazing at a melting candle, and a Tokyo street scene similarly, seemingly shot by a camera swooping across the city. Now, this is what they say the implications are. The technology could speed the work of seasoned movie makers while replacing less experienced digital artists entirely. It could also become a quick and inexpensive way of creating online disinformation, making it even harder to tell what's real on the internet. What do you think about that assessment? Do you... Um, do you agree with that? Like they're editorializing pretty big in a news article uh, right at the top. I think we need to break this down into kind of like different categories. You have the actual technological achievement, the coolness factor, the impact on jobs, and then disinformation. And I really want to start with the technological advancement and the coolness factor because, oh my God, if you saw those demos, I am so excited. This is what I like. This is probably the biggest advance I've seen in a while. Because again, you go from mid-journey version five to six, Dolly two to three. All of those are still, I don't want to say incremental because they're still big leaps, but this is the first time in a long time that wow feeling that when I first used ChatGPT and I saw the text starting to stream across and actually answering my question and generating text. This is the first time I've had that feeling in a long time. And my favorite part of all of this is how OpenAI probably, I think they're throwing a bit of shade at Google on this one, that they make clear that these are all real demos and this is not just some research paper. Because every time Meta and Google release this stuff, it's always just a new research paper and they'll get their headlines. This is real. Okay, but let me ask you this. Is what we're seeing, okay, it's definitely a breakthrough, but is what we're seeing computers able being able to understand more than, you know, they have in the past or is it just as simple as like we trained a dolly-like model with video instead of images and they can do images? Because you saw that they were able to like for instance put pirate ships in a cup of coffee. So do you think these models like understand the fact that coffee is a liquid and a pirate ship is a is a solid and therefore it would basically sail on the coffee ship, uh, the coffee cup, uh, the same way that it would on the water and let's do it this way. So is, do you think this is increased understanding by the models or is it just simply like them taking the same process that they have all the time? Because that is a very big difference. Yeah, no, no, that that's exactly, that's perfect. That's, I think that there's two layers to how big of an advancement this is. As you said, now physics are involved. Before the kind of physics understanding of what how things move and what's happening in an image is obviously not nearly as important. Still, how the boat would render, the pirate ship would render on the coffee cup and balance or whatever in that still image still mattered. But now how things move, even that, you know, the, the video they released the first tweet with a uh, woman walking in Tokyo, how they're walking, how things move around her, that's huge. And then you start to think about the processing power and kind of like overall processing advancement here. Generating one still image is one thing. Generating in a one minute video clip, essentially, I don't know, however many thousand frames with one prompt and doing it 
I don't know how long this will take, how long it'll take to render this stuff, but I mean, that that's a massive jump. There was some like really fun stuff also with the mistakes that I made. Like there were a bunch of people trying to place a beach chair down in the sand and it just kind of floated and wobbled. And it's like, wow, like the what does the model think a beach chair is made of and what does it do? Like it does under it does show, I think, some emergent understanding of physics, like you mentioned. And that is really the interesting thing. We're going to see where it goes. I think I'm a little bit more freaked out now about what AI is and what AI can do than I was at the beginning of the week. And I'm curious, speaking of people being freaked out, what do you think Hollywood should feel about this? I wish we had um, Sharon Waxman with us again from The Wrap yeah. talking about this stuff, because the reaction from all the Hollywood trades is like, it's over, people, pack it up. But that being said, like, come on, like, this is not something, in my opinion, that can start to replace the feature length film. Yeah, I, you're not going to get acting. Like, I think the the entire art of acting is the most human thing imaginable and you know conveying human emotion in original ways is not going anywhere i do think i think all these kind of things advertising is going to change a lot faster than feature films i think this is the stuff that gets me excited that small brands and creators are going to be able to create videos in ways that they never would have been able to before um and pretty quickly because there's not as much need it, that's more just about doing it setting the scene communicating visually whatever you're trying to communicate so i think feature length films are nowhere near you know changing but i okay i take that back because i think some changes you can see is maybe for b-roll you know, like the little bits of film that, you know, are not involving an acting or an actor. I think that stuff might start to get generated and it'll actually make movies potentially better because you don't need to fly across the world to get one shot and mm. you'll actually be able to storytell in a better way. I feel like they can already do that with special effects though. Yeah, no, no, I think that's why the stuff has already been changing a good amount. So yeah, no, no I agreed, you know, you're... Half the stuff is shot, even stuff about New York City is often shot in Hollywood. So right, exactly. I think I, yeah, I agree. So so that's why I don't think it's gonna be just pack it up, Hollywood, you're done. I think I think this this has a much bigger impact among smaller players, people, all that kind of stuff. The big people, the big players have already had a lot of this technology and access to it. It just makes it more readily available. And I think we should also note that this is not going to be available anytime soon, at least from OpenAI. I mean, basically, they were making the announcement showing that they got ahead of this model. I mean, their model is definitely far ahead of the other models that are out there. But they are also saying that they're trying to red team this, basically find holes in the technology, and that the general public should basically shouldn't hold its breath about getting it anytime in the near future. Yeah, no, no, I think they're... They're, they, to their credit, you know, you always say OpenAI is in the hits business. Yes. They're pretty good at product marketing and they, and like, you know, again, going at Google and saying, look, these are real demos people created. It's here getting that excitement going, but still making sure and working on the product. I think they've shown that they can release products pretty well certainly better than Google has recently. Meta, Meta doesn't even really have any consumer facing products in the same way. I think they have an image generator now, but you know, do. yeah, uh, Microsoft has been all right, but, but OpenAI is still in this whole wave been the master of product releases and marketing. So I think they've started this one pretty well. Yeah, and I do think just going back to our original reaction to it is that this is incredible technology and seeing some of the videos and the way that it, you know, video can really trigger emotion in people and seeing the way that it was triggering emotion in people across Twitter yesterday. And of course, you had some people farming for clout, but like seeing a, cow, a cat rolling around on a bed with someone was just like totally yeah, unbelievable. And if there was any question of whether the progress at NAI is going to come to an end or slowing down. It doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like we are really in for a year, another year of breakthroughs. And this is, I think the first big one on the agenda. So what you're saying is NVIDIA's valuation makes sense. No, that I'm you're not saying that, no. <laughs> I think, I think I agree. I think this is, that's why I think this is a big week. This is it. it I, I agree that there's been a moment 
the last few months almost have felt calm in a good way that you can actually start trying to really use the technology and trying to figure it out. And then suddenly now it's like, oh, here we go. 2024 is going to be just as big. Exactly. But, and there's always a but, right? You mentioned that I think that OpenAI is in the hits business. And here's why. It's that this technology can become equaled and it's not, and because it's so new and novel, it's not always going to take off. And there's some data that I broke uh, in big technology this week with uh, with uh, similar web, which is an, an online analytics company, just looking at like where chat GPT stands, because I think you'll remember in the summer chat GPT stagnated a little bit. It had a couple of real big dips in usage. And people said, once students come back, it's going to go back again and surpass its highs. Well, the data that I saw from similar web, which measures, you know, web traffic across the internet, found that uh, not only have they not reached their peak, they're now 11% off the peak that they hit in May 2023, stagnant from mid 2023. And um, they declined in both November and December this year, key months where students are in school and the usage dropped. So basically, my perspective on this is that the ChatGPT's growth has flatlined. And if you want to read more and see the data, I definitely encourage you to go to BigTechnology.com and check it out. And Ranjan, I'm just kind of curious what your reaction is to this. I mean, we thought for a minute it was the fastest growing consumer product in history. It had 100 million users in in about uh, uh, two months. And then we thought that, okay, it's such a cool technology that maybe it will continue to grow. But it hasn't. What do you think that means? What do you think the implications are for for OpenAI and ChatGPT. Yeah, I think that's why this video, text-to-video, maybe that's why they're pushing it even more right now because personally, and we talked about this the other week, I have perplexity, I have Microsoft Copilot, and let's all remember that Microsoft Copilot for free gives you access to GPT-4 and Dolly 3, whereas chat with ChatGPT, you have to pay for ChatGPT plus 20 bucks a month. So they have a lot of competition, and I'll admit, I've been Geminiing a little bit on the you last have? week. I have. And Doesn't it feel great not to say barding? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's not beat you, a dead Sundar. horse. <laughs> no, but I, I'm going to do this all year okay. long. All year long. Thank you. And I'll never forget the name Bard because yep. Gemini is great. I feel good saying Gemini. And it's working. It's working pretty well. And it's integrated nicely at first. I was a little surprised they did not release a separate app for it. And it's actually funny. I asked Gemini, does Gemini have an iOS app? And still in a good old school bard fashion, it returned to me Gemini, a crypto tra- the crypto trading app, and then another Gemini. It did, wasn't even self-aware about, I was asking if itself had an iOS app. Oh my goodness. But then they did, the way they released it is in the Google iOS app, Gemini is kind of, you can like uh, hit a toggle and switch to Gemini mode. I actually think it's smart because it gets you into the Google app itself, uploading images and these things are already built in. Like it, it still really entrenches it in the overall Google ecosystem that everyone's already, you know, used to. So I actually think it could be a very, very smart consumer play. And a lot of people already have it on their phone anyways, and that means that they are going to be a direct competitor to ChatGPT. And so you have so much competition coming from every single angle that just being the first, it might not be enough for them. So, okay, so one of the aspects might be competition, but the other aspect might be just the format is getting tired. I think that people were initially so excited about how well these bots performed, but started to lose the ability to find new things to ask them and the use cases. Like they're, they're like, there's like a desire to use ChatGPT, but also just sort of a confusion in terms of what to do with it um, after that initial novelty wore off. And I think that's another explanation. It's not just the competition because, yes, Bing has ticked up. But basically, you look at any of these uh, bots compared to, let's say, a Google, um, and you're just single digits, low single digits. Like, for instance, ChatGPT's web visits are a tiny bit more, maybe a few hundred million more than Bing's. Uh, But still, Bing is just 3.4% of the total search market. So I wouldn't go as far as to call it a niche product, but it almost is there. Yeah, I think the chat interface itself, I agree, is limited. And not people, 
unless you get in the habit of understanding how to use it in different ways, I think it is a limiting factor. And again, going back to Gemini for the win, possibly integrating again is the chat part is just one part of the overall feature, but getting people to take a picture with their phone and directly tell you all about it. Google has had Google Lens for a long time and integrating the Gemini model directly into that is smart. I think starting with that blank cursor, the way ChatGPT has you do is is definitely going to keep it more niche than it otherwise was. So yeah, I think that they need to, but they, they have been better at like integrating again, image generation, image understanding with text. Um, but, but to me, the more I thought about it is like, again, there's the using large language models for knowledge retrieval or information retrieval, and then using them to generate new content. And the first half is just search and, you know, Perplexity is doing well. Copilot's doing well. Google is building their own search generative experiences. So that's something that will ChatGPT compete on? I don't think so. Right. Now, I'm going to push back on this idea that this multimodal thing is something that people actually want to do. Google's had Lens out forever. It has not broke through into the mainstream, which is that app that you could take pictures of and Google will search and stuff like that. Now, maybe there'll be some moments where you'll you know drop an image in and ask these bots to have a conversation with you about it, but it's hard to see that really being like the super use case. Wait, what are you basing your Google lens is not a mainstream product on? Just like how many people <laughs> do you actually see talking about lens? Have you just anecdotally? Yeah, have yeah, you yeah. Seen people what, using it? Tra traveling? I've seen, mm. I've used it. It's a kind of a common thing. I remember it was actually a friend who told me about oh, when they're traveling, especially like in countries with non uh, English alphabets, they go straight, any menu you open, any sign you look at, you pull out Google Lens right away and get it to instantly translate things for you. And after I heard that, that's how I use it myself. I'm Google Lensing all the time. <laughs> okay. All right. So you versus me. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll yeah. take your word for it. So, um, also on the Google front, just a quick note to hit, they released this new model, Gemini 1.5 already. It's interesting to me, they have said that, you know, they're already, <laughs> then they just released Gemini 1 and now they're already releasing 1.5. And the interesting thing about 1.5 uh, is that it has 1 million tokens compared to 128,000 for GPT-4 and 32,000 for Gemini Pro, right? And so basically it's, Let's see, this is what Sundar says. It's about 11, 10 or 11 hours of video, tens or th tens of thousands of lines of code. So, and the context window, that's the tokens, means you can ask the AI bot about all that content at once. That seems big to me, but it got basically no attention while everybody was looking at the, um, the, the Sora news. What do you think about that expansion at Gemini? Yeah, I think it's, it's tough because, well, for, and first of all, I agree that guys, take a breath. You're doing well with just the whole Gemini rebrand. We don't need 1.5 just yet. Save it so you can build some buzz around it, but they are doing it. So we'll talk about it. Um, the token windows are interesting to me because one of the big changes that happened even in a lot of the work I've done is as these context windows and the amount of tokens you can use get bigger, that means in the past, you would do fine tune a model, meaning you would like train a model, a foundation model in a very specific way and it took work and you had to write code and it was difficult. Now you can literally make a prompt that's the size of a book and say, here's 200 examples. Now mm -hmm. using those, recreate this kind of text in this style. And, oh. but yeah, so, so it changes the way you actually build the entire process that now it's called prompt tuning. It's that you can actually get it to do exactly what you want and provide all that instruction just in the prompt alone because they're so long. So you can put, put in a whole book, but even in GPT-4 and use that to essentially on the fly train that prompt and get it to respond in a specific way. The difference between that and a 32 and 128,000, I don't even know what 128,000 feels like. And, and you had a quote in here that was really good from Sundar or not, he says it's about 10 or 11 hours of video, tens of thousands of lines of code. So what exactly you're inputting, I can't even fathom. Like, are right. you putting in 
10 or 11 hours of video. I don't know what you do. Maybe you can put in entire code bases and get that to train to output this code in a specific way. That gets kind of interesting. But but the size of it has been a major change, especially GPT-4, then Claude. All of these have been pushing the limits on how big these context windows are, and it changes the way we all can use LLMs in a pretty powerful way. But is this out yet? Because there was uh, somebody from Founders Fund that tweeted this guy, John Coogan. Google launches a new AI tool. I go to check it out. Wait a minute. This isn't a working product. This is just a blog post every time. Are we in that you know scenario again? Thank you, John Coogan, for uh, outlining exactly what I've been trying to say in a much pithier way in a good way. Because, yeah, that, that's when we're talking about product marketing and releases, like, Again, why Google always does this. They announce something way, way before it's ready and they just fall behind even more. So OpenAI is still for the win on product marketing. But OpenAI also this week just released a blog post and everybody's going to go nuts. So you can't be selective about that. No, no, but that, that's a, they were very specific that these are real demos created by real people. This okay. isn't like a research process that we validated and something. This is... They're red people, folks red teaming this are the ones who created these prompts. Can I tell you what my favorite bit of uh, AI news this week was? Nothing, not text to video and the complete transformation of reality? No. <laughs> it was VJEPA. Did you see this about VJEPA? So VJEPA, <laughs> let me see what it stands for. It stands for Video Joint Embedding Predictive Architecture. VJEPA. And it's from uh, Meta. And they released this model, or they've, they've announced this model. And they say it's a first step toward artificial general intelligence. Those are bold words. Now, why is it? Okay, so basically what it does is, this is from Fast Company, it learns by processing unlabeled video and figuring out what's probably happening in a certain part of the screen during the few seconds it was blacked out. So basically, if you have somebody playing guitar, like Mark Zuckerberg posted a picture of this, and then you blacked out the part of his hand uh, that's actually strumming the chords, and you ask the model to create what's in that blacked out area, it can show the hand strumming the chords. And this isn't just like, you know, total video generation. It requires a true understanding of the world. And to me, that is very interesting. It's, a, you know, effectively saying that, like, you know, I, the, vid I, the AI model, you know, I'm not just generating but I am understanding and that to me, and I think that's different from just generating a full video. It's figuring out what's missing. To me, it sounds pretty crucial and very interesting. And that's why VJEPA to me is a, is the big news of the world. And this is what Fast Company says. It is not a generative model. It develops an inter internal conceptual model of the world and then acts based off of that. If VJEPA, if VJEPA is working, if it actually is for real, that is a change because, you know, again, large language models with text work with trying to predict what is the most statistically probable next word or word that will fill in that blank space and the gap. Images similar, what's the next pixel? But to try to do that for video is, uh, if it can get that right, that does seem pretty profound and maybe that is like a breakthrough as big as the 2013 computer vision breakthroughs but i don't know jan lacoon i give us a demo come on on the show and uh i know give us i, a I did invite him on the show they, they said he was i think he was somewhere making some speeches or something like that no, he won he won an award i saw yes. like in dubai or something like that but it was some like uh yeah. global ai award listen jan if you're listening less awards more big technology podcast. Less <laughs> awards, more big technology podcast. Simple as that. It's the Show formula us for success. It's the exactly. formula for success. Here's what we can do. Black out the image of Jan LeCun accepting that award in Dubai or wherever it is. And then have real, and then the model will figure out that it's him. Have real Jan LeCun come here and demo VJEPA. But it is interesting because these models like, this is weird, right? We're talking less about predicting the next word, more about reasoning, more about understanding a you know the world conceptually, more about learning physics. Like, where is this going to end? This is kind of getting scary, creepy, exciting, all of the above. I mean, it's interesting because Jan LeCun, I feel, 
and Meta overall has been kind of actually in a pretty smart, safe, responsible place, especially versus OpenAI and others where Google might be too conservative or, you know, they're like open source, build guardrails directly in, recognizing the need to be responsible while still progressing. Like overall, I think they've positioned themselves pretty well in terms of how these things develop. But yeah, and, and we as we started this conversation, uh, especially in this election year, how this stuff plays out and in the disinformation realm is going to be pretty scary interesting we're going to we're going to be living the in real time the potential impacts of these things these tools. I'm way less worried about the disinformation and more of like what happens if this thing becomes self-aware which like <laughs> I don't know it sounds more and more like that that might happen in our lifetimes where before it seemed far-fetched I'm more concerned about disinformation in the election than self-aware artificial general in intelligence. Choose your enemy. Pick your Choose poison. your enemy. It's only yeah, a matter of what poison. kills you first. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do we really need disinformation when we have Tucker Carlson out in a Russian supermarket um, uh, talking about how great the cart return system is? That's fair. That's fair. It's the <laughs> algorithm. It was always yeah. the algorithm. Yeah. By the way, that is a very innovative system, the cart return. You put the coin in, return the cart. <laughs> I didn't see, I didn't actually even watch the video. I tried oh to God. block out the entire, so I saw some of the memes, but I, I really yep. tried to block out. Uh, sometimes you have to make like a very concerted effort to not partake in something or engage with something. And mm. this is Tucker in Russia was one of those things for me. I mean, I love how Putin said that it was like, and Putin goes, yeah, it was a weak interview. <laughs> oh, did he say yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, anyway, let's talk about another comeback video, which is Mark Zuckerberg coming back and basically giving the Vision Pro a tongue lashing, saying that not only does he think that Quest is a better value uh, because it's seven times less expensive, uh, but also that it's the better product in general, period. And he makes all these different comparison uh, comparisons saying the Quest weighs less, its uh, controllers are better, it is more immersive, uh, all of the above. And it was very interesting seeing the reaction there. People really liked Zuckerberg taking that swing against Apple. Did you think this was a wise move? Do you think it was accurate? Have you tried the Vision Pro yet? Give us your I thoughts. have, I have, okay. I, I have. And I actually, I don't think I'm going to buy one just yet, mm -hmm. but it was incredible. I think I'm in the same exact place as you are where I'm going to give it, let it breathe a little bit, give it a little bit of time, but mm -hmm. it was spectacular technology. I've not, I've tried the Quest 2. I've not tried, tried the Quest 3. Um, and we can get more into the Vision Pro, but on Zuckerberg's video, I have to say, and I have a lot of issues with Meta overall and their products and it's, but I respected this video. It was, it was great marketing it was great like the way he did it casually sitting down and just talking it was a reminder that like mark zuckerberg and i've heard this i've read about this in many places like he's a competitor mm -hmm. and you know apple is coming for them in many ways and you've written well about how maybe apple's actually helping them inadvertently but but he's here he's here to play and he's sitting on his couch and just looking in the camera and talking and i do find it kind of like you know, rich that when there are headlines like Zuckerberg coming out saying Quest 3 is better than Vision Pro, because of course, why wouldn't he? Exactly. But I thought, the, I thought the overall format was good uh, and great, in fact. I do also find it interesting that I've been using threads more and somehow my algorithmic feed in threads for a couple of hours was literally all fawning praise of Zuckerberg's video. And mm -hmm. I really do wonder what how Meta is tweaking that algorithm the same way Elon did with Twitter uh, to favor themselves in particular ways. I'm sure there's something there. So, but, okay, here's the counter argument about the Zuck video, right? So MG Siegler, uh, who's in a former Google, or I think he maybe might still be at Google Ventures, he says that Zuckerberg is running a real risk of this all coming back to bite him in the ass. Steve Ballmer laughed off the iPhone, but actually his stance at the time was quite reasonable. The iPhone was too expensive relative to the market, so much so that Apple rather quickly dropped the price. But no one remembers that. 
They just remember the dismissive laugh. Is Zuckerberg in another bomber situation? He could be. I think he totally could be. But I think that, I don't know, it, he wasn't as dismissive. I thought he was like well re um, rehearsed, at least spoken about, you know, here are the very concrete reasons I think this and not kind of laughing it off more because uh, he can't laugh it out. He can't say that headsets are stupid because the whole argument is our headset is better. Um, so I, I, I don't think he's fully at risk. Do you? I think that's that's totally right. I think it, it is much more sensible, yeah, for him to take this position than it would have been, you know, if he was in like the bomber spot. And they never had they never really competed against the iPhone, right? I mean, they had the Windows phone, but that went nowhere. So they have the device that's been in market. And it's been selling. Have you? Did you ever see a Windows phone? I have. I have seen them for sure. Oh, okay. I don't they were not I've good. Ever... <laughs> no, there's a reason I saw, they got I saw, I saw a few Zunes. Remember the mm -hmm. Microsoft Zune? Yes. Their uh, iPod MP3 competitor. Player. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. also bad. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's a reason why they fell behind and had a lost decade. They just continued to ship total shit for years. And that's yep. that was a problem. They've, they've rebounded. But, but now Satya... It's yes. just rolling right now. Okay, last thing on the Vision Pro, it's uh, the Apple fans are returning them to the Apple Store. This is from The Verge. It's no coincidence there's been an uptick on social media of Vision Pro owners saying they're returning their $3,500 3, $3, headsets in the past few days. Apple allows you to return the product within 14 days of purchase. And for the first wave of Vision Pro buyers, we're right about that point. Uh, comfort is among the most cited reason for returns. People have said the headset gives them headaches and trigger, triggers motion sickness, the weight of the device, and the fact that it is front-loaded has been another complaint. Okay, here, this is amazing. The Verge, uh, the Verge's product manager said uh, he thought that using the device led to a burst blood vessel in his eye. At least one other person noted they had similar experience with redness. Do you think this is just people blowing social media chatter out of proportion, or is this a real problem for Apple? I think that it's definitely a problem if it's for, if it's happening at any kind of scale. Actually, in that uh, Verge piece, one thing that was interesting to me is you do note what pr uh, platform all of these posts are on that went where they went viral. Which platform? Uh, every threads? single every single hyperlink was on threads. Okay, but that's also I'm that's just, because just noting, the, I'm no, just no, noting no. that. We I'm just noting that. that. I'm that's just because all these Verge that, journalists are on are on no, threads no, and they've noting, given up on X. I'm just noting that coincidentally uh, stories about the Vision Pro being returned are going utterly viral on threads. Well, but, as the original thread boy of this of this podcast, I would say, okay, somewhat vindicated. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm on threads now. I'm on threads. I'm using it. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, no, I think if this stuff is for real, if, they, if this is a genuine problem, if you start to see this not as one-off tweets and as like a larger narrative and, and again, people not on threads talking about it, um, I think it definitely presents a risk for Apple. But honestly, after trying the Vision Pro, I really came away in the same way, and I and I like it more in the context of like the Apple Watch, um, even the original iPad. The uh, the we don't know exactly what the use cases will be, but we're gonna get there. And it's it's just such an incredible piece of technology that uh, it's gonna. Just, I, I'm very excited about it. Again, it's expensive right now. I don't know if I want to shell out the money right now, but it's definitely a big part of the future. Yeah. I've been waiting for maybe the next generation or the generation after. It sounds good. We also have one Zune head in the chat. Noble Ackerson says, love the Dune. Love the Zune. I disagree. All right. Sorry, Noble. I I'm glad to, to have a proud Zune head listening to Big Technology Podcast. I did not mean to uh, <laughs> disparage one of your favorite products. I apologize. Really regret the error. So did you watch the Super Bowl, Ron John? I did watch the Super Bowl. I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it was a second overtime Super Bowl ever. First one yeah. being... Tom Brady and my Patriots, but still a great game. It was excellent. And the commercials were, I thought, just a highlight for me. Like the commercials have gone through like a bunch of like different iterations. They've been like the heartfelt ones, the preachy ones, the crypto bowl. But this just felt like a return to Super Bowl commercials that were just funny and goofy and star studded. I loved it. 
Um, what I loved even more was the five Super Bowl ads, so many Super Bowl ads that it actually became somewhat of a meme on social media that you can people continue getting them from Timu, the was, Chinese it social was the Timu Bowl. Yeah, the yeah. Timu, this was the Timu Bowl. And also what was fascinating was just as a sign of this uh, company that remains a mystery in so many ways, in the last Super Bowl, when they ran their first shop like a billionaire ads, the company in their ads pronounced it Timu. In this year's Super Bowl, they pronounced it Temu. They changed oh. the price. I saw and I, I it threw me off because I've said Timu and we've talked about it on the show. I've written about them a lot. Um, in my head, it's always been Timu. And then on the Super Bowl, I'm like, have I been saying it wrong the whole time? But then I looked up the old ads and they changed the pronunciation of their company's name just like that. You think so it's that's, like a play to like the Midwest and the South that Temu is easier to pronounce? Yeah, I'm sure there was like some user research or mm -hmm. something where they, or maybe they saw, yeah, Timu was more awkward or maybe, I don't know what it was, but they just, they totally changed it. But what's, what I think was really interesting is- <laughs> It's gonna be Tim, Timu, Temu in the program, Timu in our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, go for it. I, uh, so what's interesting is this time, the sheer volume, it entered the conversation. Like I heard so many more mm -hmm. people talking about it than last year. And again, because this has been, they as a company and she and these have been kind of an obsession for me for a long time. It was fascinating to hear so many people talking about them more. Um, what's also interesting is again, everyone's like, how much could they have spent? How much could they have spent? I think one thing I've been reading recently that was really interesting, Meta has been blowing out earnings. The amount of Chinese advertising on Meta went up mm -hmm. from $3 billion to $13 billion last year. I, I think it was $3 billion in 2021. So in, a, in about two years' time, it, it almost quadrupled. So, And there's rumors that over in last year, Temu, Timu, whatever it is, was $3 billion plus, even up to $4 billion That's crazy. in terms of spend. So these companies have gone in and it's this really interesting kind of like uh, alliance almost that Facebook's blowing out their earnings. Timu is go getting across the United States and letting everyone shop like a billionaire. So just this massive quiet onslaught of advertising money is taking place by a company that we don't even know how to pronounce their name. Well, they don't know how to pronounce their name in fairness. Well, they don't either. Yes, yes. It was um, interesting because... Temu like uh, has all these, see, I'm already on the Temu game. Um, they already, <laughs> they have uh, all these like deals for like $1 or they'll ship you something for free if you sign up. And my favorite reaction was people saying, wait, they have the money for a Super Bowl ad? Like, where are they getting that money from? And someone's like, um, they paid for those Super Bowl ads on Klarna. <laughs> like oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they must it, be making money and that might not make a Amazon so happy, gotta say. Well, no, this it's it's not existential in any way, but it's certainly they have to be uh, at Amazon really concerned about this because remember Amazon almost uh, it unfortunately I don't I want to say like made the strategic decision to move to mm -hmm. lower cost goods from Chinese suppliers, move away from brand oriented products, move away from kind of like direct-to-consumer and online brands and and products that really are built around at least quality or inspiration and just what's the cheapest thing I can buy and get it to me fast. And that's what Temu, Timu, Shein, that's what the, all these companies are doing. And, and, you know, we're seeing it in the Super Bowl. And it is interesting to me. And another thing that came out this week that was interesting, and especially in an election year, how are these companies going to kind of be brought up in the political context? Because I think Chinese ownership of the fastest growing e-commerce and shopping platform in America, you have to imagine when that's the one bipartisan issue is going to be brought up. Right. And then, you know, you look at TikTok and further issues develop. Yeah, TikTok. So this came out this week and it's really interesting there is a uh, one of the female executives who was uh, uh, had moved up pretty quickly, during, especially during the COVID years. Joined in 2019, had moved up to global mar leading all global marketing initiatives um, for TikTok. 
had left and, and there's an entire harassment lawsuit around this. But what's interesting is in the lawsuit, it's very clear that it's executives out of China and ByteDance, who is still the owner of TikTok, that call the shots. And there's a great Matt Schrader who covers uh, Chinese business politics very closely. You know, he said it's in these lawsuits that are more about how Chinese employers uh, treat American employees and the just the entire standards are different and the way, you know, what's the expectations are different. That's where we actually start to find out how much is ByteDance really controlling TikTok. Because remember, the new CEO of TikTok, who is Singaporean, went in front of Congress and had a great viral moment where Tom Cotton looked kind of ridiculous because he kept asking about the Chinese Communist Party and he kept saying, you know, sir, I'm Singaporean. I'm not Chinese. I served in the Singaporean army. Like TikTok is doing everything they can do to distance themselves from its Chinese ownership with ByteDance and saying we're a global company based in Singapore, mm -hmm. nothing to do. But then it's just a reminder that ByteDance still owns the company and still in these situations, you realize runs meetings. There's been plenty of reporting around how you know meetings have to start a lot earlier in the middle of the night for American employees because they have ByteDance executives in those meetings, even though they're TikTok employees. So I think this, the TikTok story, Timu is going to be one big one this year around geopolitics and business. But the TikTok story, I think, is really going to get interesting, especially when the Biden campaign just awkwardly went on TikTok as well this week. I don't know if exactly. you saw that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely saw that. So, okay, Ranjan, tell me this. So, first of all, um, what happens if like TikTok and these other comp Chinese companies go under the microscope in the U.S.? Like, the U.S. has done absolutely nothing, and also like. Are we finally going to just do away with this illusion that TikTok is independent? Like it was very clear in not this past hearing, but the hearing before that Cho Chu was taking orders from ByteDance and not really authorized to speak as a CEO. And so like they keep making the claim that they're independent. They're not. We all know that at this point. And I just wonder like, okay, so further up. So everyone like puts evidence out like, oh, this is like a real discovery. But like to me, it's old news. It's a tough one because... When you say we all know, you and I, I feel, know we're talking big about technology it. Think, readers big technology and readers and listeners know. But come on, the average person opening TikTok or thinking about TikTok, I don't think is associating as clearly what that means regarding like from a geopolitical standpoint. I actually think the Biden campaign, it it was a tough decision, I imagine. They're like, how can we not try to reach X million Gen Z's and teenagers or whatever, like, so still to go on the platform. But I think taking a stand on that actually would have been interesting and kind of helped solidify things. Is can the app get banned this year? I think they've set themselves up pretty well where it won't, and that conversation seems to have gone away. But yeah, I, I agree. Where this goes, I don't know, but I think it's going to become on the tip of a lot more people's tongues in the the next year yeah you could say like maybe if people like users themselves like with big tech and in particular it's users them, themselves that have all the power here and you could say that okay users themselves might feel weird about it and decide to go to you know reels instead and that might happen regardless but it just uh, i i think we've shown with social media companies and social media apps that users can deal with and basically unlimited <laughs> amount of bull crap coming out you know about these companies and they will not change their behavior unless the product sucks so it's gonna i mean if tiktok's gonna go away in the u.s it's gonna be because american companies you know outcompeted it not because the government is gonna do anything maybe changing the perception a little bit will help but i doubt it will make a huge difference i think that's fair i think that's i mean and it's sadly fair but yeah counting on users to make that switch is not gonna happen and could there be actually you know what hold on i take that back i uh, here here's here's the bull case scenario not the bull crap scenario is that <laughs> for democracy and justice is uh, no but, but seriously tiktok has to ipo and whether that like is it going to be ByteDance that ipos 
Is it going to be TikTok actually spun off and IPOing? And in that process, every one of those investors is sitting on paper returns of ungodly amounts of money. It's definitely late enough in those fund cycles that they are going to try to like try to realize some kind of return. The market is where it needs to be to IPO. And can that IPO be blocked? That is can get very interesting. Can the structure of that IPO, will they not allow them to list in the US? Because that's something regulators can have a lot of control over. And then that changes the entire conversation, you know, like where not being able to cash out and sell to public market investors, I think that's where the only possible point of leverage could be. I don't think TikTok's getting banned, I agree. I don't think people will stop using it, but they need to go public soon. Yeah, that is that is possible for sure. Trying to think whether we should talk about this Tesla crash. Let's do it quickly. Okay, so there was a Tesla worker who was killed in a crash with inside his uh, Tesla. His name is Hans von Ohain. And they found that the auto drive, okay, so the passenger who was with him said the auto drive feature was on and the car ran straight off the off the road. At the scene of the crash, there was uh, uh, rolling tire marks and no skid marks, which means that he didn't hit the brakes. Now, the driver was drunk at the time, so his widow cannot get any lawyer to take up the case saying that basically Tesla was responsible for this death. But it all points to be, uh, all, all signs point to this being a full self-driving death. And of course, Musk said that he did not have it uh, full self-driving on. Um, and Musk said this in a tweet, he was not on full self-driving. The software had unfortunately never been downloaded. I say unfortunately because the accident probably never would have happened if full self-driving had been engaged. And there's this big thing that's happening here because the, um, the, the car was in a remote location and apparently unable to send uh, uh, the data about what was on and what was what was not on, you know, back to the servers. And so therefore Tesla saying we don't really have any clue as to what happened. But the physical signs and definitely the um, the testimony from the witness there who was in the car with this driver seems to indicate that full self-driving was engaged. Now, to me, it was surprising. A few, a few things were surprising. One, if this was the, just the first full self-driving death, that's unbelievable given how many miles this stuff has worked on. And B, like, I guess it's going to be just like, this is sort of going to be the future of what self-driving uh, in Tesla's looks like, where like there will never really be any like full admitting from the company that its technology could be behind an accident like this. What's your read on it? First of all, I love that. You said, let's quickly run through probably the most complicated, nuanced, yeah, difficult, that was, serious, yeah. uh, serious story of the week. Um, but yeah, I think, so I, I was a bit confused because there's been a ton of reported deaths, uh, many reported deaths where they had full self-driving engaged in some way. Like, and I don't know, perhaps their hands were still on the wheel or, so I was uh, calling it the first known fatality was a little confusing to me because I've, even I think the Washington Post has covered and many other fatalities related to Teslas that had the technology on. But, but I think I was surprised, like Musk even said, you know, the software, if it had been downloaded, this would not have happened. Like trying mm -hmm. to use this as almost a marketing moment uh, was surprising to me. And it's what's also surprising about that is how that inconsistency exists where the Washington Post is writing this entire long piece about how full self-driving was engaged. And then Musk is just saying he didn't even have it downloaded. Like what that discrepancy is kind of but there could be semantics there right like it could be already installed in the computer and you just have to activate it or something like that so maybe he's saying it wasn't activated he was an employee he got it for free there might not have been a purchase order like there is gray area around that you think they're trying to legalize their way out of this or potentially but also i guess like as someone who's a fan of self-driving and understands that people get killed in car accidents you know when they're behind the wheel as well like do we do we want every crash if, even if it's fatal with full self-driving to be something that could lead to a lawsuit that will potentially put the technology out of service like 
is the cruise outcome optimal or do we need like a little bit of leeway with these companies to allow them to go ahead and and do this stuff and is that i mean maybe that's what elon is is doing here is seeing what happened to cruise and saying like you know there's already been a recall of full self-driving and we can't have that happen to us and just trying to finesse his way out of it but i don't oh, think well, it's necessarily a good outcome to have these companies be so responsible for what happens that they go out of business if they kill somebody however terrible that is yeah but to me the difference is and uh, i i agree with the idea that i believe that self-driving is the future and will be far safer than what exists today and result in overall less crashes but they will build still be road fatalities to me the issue here is simply and it all comes back to full self-driving as a marketing term is encouraging people to believe that the current technology is level four level five self-driving right. and you don't need to be you can get drunk and get in the car and that's totally fine because your car is going to drive you that's the issue and i think like to me cruise i actually i almost felt bad about how everything played mm -hmm. out and that's where i might feel be more in line with you that i think how aggressively and quickly everything was kind of pulled back i think was because they approach things responsibly so far they've been very you know coordinating with the regulators transparent about everything unlike tesla which is again calling it full self-driving how could someone not think that i can get drunk and get in my car and i'll be okay so i think to me that's the issue and and i do worry that as long as tesla is the dominant player and approaching things in this way that's exactly where these lawsuits will be bigger or people will have more of an overreaction. Right, and that's what the widow said. She said, uh, you're told this car should be smarter than you, so when it's in full self-driving, you relax. Your reaction time is gonna be less than if it were not in full self-driving. So yeah, maybe it is just a branding issue and they have to change it, but you, can, you can't imagine them going from, from like full self-driving to mostly full self-driving. Like it's just Kinda. like- Kind of self-driving. Kind of self-driving. I mean, could you, could you imagine what the reaction would be? for Tesla stock, which is already down, uh, you know, it's 50% off its highs at this point. Yeah, I think regulators should step in and force them to name it, rename it to kind of self-driving. Kind of self-driving, KSD. KSD. Yeah, it's like college Sheikh Muhammad, no, close. <laughs> Sorry, KS, I just go to KSM anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. And yes. the final story of the week. <laughs> Go ahead. This is a crazy you, one too. This is also you like one introduce of our, this one, Alex. All introduce right. So this one. basically, it comes down to this. It was the big talker on uh, Twitter this week. A financial columnist for the New, for New York for the Cut, which is part of New York Magazine, uh, wrote a whole story about how she put fifty thousand dollars in a shoebox and handed it to scammers. And basically, um, she was called by Amazon, who said like they're working with the FTC and there are corporate accounts that are opened up in her name and like the whole story she keeps going along and saying like um yeah uh saying like oh that that, that seemed to make sense to me and like here this is uh like she's asking like for okay so the ftc this fake ftc agent connects her with the cia who's like we need to give you a new social security number and we need you to therefore give us your cash and we'll give you a treasury check as we update your accounts and she's she's like making some smart checks she goes to one of the officers i need to see your colleague's bags badge i'm just not going to hand fifty thousand dollars of my money to someone i don't know and then the person on the phone says undercover agents don't carry badges and um yeah okay and he goes they're undercover remember you're probably being watched the criminals cannot know the cia agent is there and she goes in a twisted way this made some kind of sense to me or maybe I lost my grip on reality so completely that I was willing to resign myself to a new uh, version of it. And she goes, I met the SUV on the curb and put the money in the back seat. It was 6.06 p.m. Even if I tried to see who was driving, the windows were tinted and it was dusk. He maybe wore a baseball cap. When I turned around, I could see backlit faces of my husband and son watching our, from our apartment nine stories above. As I walked back inside, one of the agents texted me a photo of the treasury check made out to $50,000 and told me a hard copy would be hand delivered to me in the morning. You'll receive a confirmation text shortly. Of course, that money never came. 
Um, everybody on Twitter is saying, I would never put $50,000 in a shoebox and drop it in the back of an SUV to somebody I don't know without a receipt. But then again, these type of scams happen often to the point where uh, Lena Khan, chair of the FTC, said, listen, like this is something that happens. There are billions of dollars that are stolen in these type of fake identity scams, uh, I think, every year. So so I'm curious what you made of it. Do you think that everybody's saying they would never get scammed is having you know, false confidence, but, and also it just does also seem like she really got taken for a ride and should have known better, especially she's the financial columnist for the cut. I think the one part of the story that again, once she felt her like little child was in danger, mm -hmm. that obviously will, you know, people will react in different ways. So I think that's the one part. Cause otherwise I agree that Overall, you're like, how are you doing this? Are you really going along? Like someone doesn't have a gun directly to your head that you see, and is this is all being done over the phone. But, but for me, I thought I'm actually glad this kind of went viral because the whole scamming topic, and we've talked about the crazily named but very prevalent pig butchering scams that result from crypto right. that Zeke Fox's book is amazing at outlining, and which is a huge industry of billions of dollars being scammed out of people. But honestly, in the last year, I've heard at least four stories from friends about parents getting scammed. And she makes the point in this that, you know, she's younger, she has a, is a financial columnist. So like, obviously it's not like, you know, uh, someone, a senior citizen sitting at home, but the amount, like, cause the creativity with which these scams can now exist and the amount of data that's out there. In this case, they had her real social security number and probably all of our personal information is out there. <laughs> just, you know, oh my being God, sold and, like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's an assumption. And it's, it's interesting too, cause in the whole gen AI, like obviously everyone's freaked out about when people can fake your voice and have it like send a panic call to your parents and stuff. But, but I, I don't know like how this stuff gets regulated and solved, but I feel, I don't know the, the fact that I've heard four stories just recently about people you have. even, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not at this scale, but just people like getting convinced their computers are being taken over. And, mm -hmm. and again, I would say almost actually all four of them were people I know's parents. So people well into their like sixties, seventies. Um, but so this is just happening everywhere. Maybe this is, uh, any election 2024 candidate, this is your platform to uh, run on. Cause yeah, this no, is, I think it's quietly. Yeah. Stop the scams. I heard about Hashtag. another one where people will get, $2,000 or $3,000 in their Venmo and the person like responds and says that was an accident. Can you send it back? And what happens is they send it back. They've washed that money for them. And then when it go, the money goes to get reclaimed, it goes to the person that the money oh, was sent yeah, to. Oh yeah. I, I actually... Be careful folks. This stuff well, uh, is crazy. I So I played along and actually I think what's helped me is because I worked in trading for a long time, mm -hmm. there was so much, like there were so many money laundering trainings and compliance trainings and stuff. So it was like programmed into my head. What's a red flag. You literally had to identify this is a flag. Oh. This is a flag. And, uh, it was, I remember, so I was buying something on Craigslist, a guitar, and it was like 1500 bucks. And I don't know if anyone, have you ever had the Craigslist cashier's check scam run on you? No, no, or like, what's that? So basically it's like someone is like, oh, you know what? I re like, if you can send me $1,000 now by cashier's check, I'll send you more money. Or sorry, it's the opposite. Like you send them some money and then they give you a cashier's check that of a lot more money and give you some excuse oh, wow. why they need yeah, to. Yeah. And so obviously I hear this happening. I'm like, okay, this is total scam, but I kind of kept it going just to see. I never met up with the person, but we had a lot of emails going back and forth. And again, anytime someone's offering you more money than you are supposed to give them just to, uh, you know, they say there's some inconvenience, it's probably gonna be a scam. But then I remember hearing from a friend from business school who was from India and came to New York City and got scammed out of two grand on something like this. And so yeah, like- It happens. Just, it happens, this very smart guy, you know, like very worked in finance himself and investment banking, but mm -hmm. still got scammed out of it. So yeah, stop the scams. Stop the scams, hashtag.
I mean, hashtag yeah, stop the scams. It's definitely a problem. Uh, I've had, I've like had some situations. Facebook Marketplace is filled with scammers. By the way, like I've had a, a situation where like someone's like they sent, they found my Google Voice number and they uh, tried to like reset it with two-factor authentication, authentication, and they're like, here, just send me the number you got there. And I'm like, I'm not sending you the two-factor <laughs> right, number, you yeah. idiot. <laughs> So, but stop anyway. the scams. He's running. Alex is running, yeah. folks. Yeah. He's announced today. Yeah, I'm here to unite America against scammers. Yeah, it's a good platform. Yeah, it is. I mean, at this point, you know, Potato could run and probably get a good amount of support. <laughs> but anyway, we'll leave it there. All we'll right. leave it there. All right, Ron John, great uh, speaking with you as always. Thanks for coming on. Have a good weekend. You too. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay vigilant, and we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.